Live from Studio 6B on a Monday night, kicking off a new week. Glad you're in. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Gang's all here. Paul Nolan's going to be here with the news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Emirati's going to have sports. Geo Fran holding it down. Mr. Nolan, how are you? I'm good. What's going on? None. Good weekend? It was nice, yeah. <laughs> if you're watching on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, make sure you like, share, comment. Try to break through the algorithm as we always do. Rick uh, Delgado, how are you? I am well. Thank you for asking. Uh, Rick Amorati, how are you? What's coming up in uh, sports? I am well, Big D. Well, PGA wild finish yesterday. NASCAR in Talladega, crazy finish. And we got rodeo and a wild UFC 261. So a lot to talk about in sports tonight. All right, very good. Uh, lots to talk about overall. I know, let me start with some shocking news. This is really shocking news. Oscars ratings <laughs> crashed 58% <laughs> to its lowest level ever. Under 10 million people watched the Oscars. Under 10. Wow. Last year it was 23.6, which was low. Which was low. Remember Under the days would be like 45, 46? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody used to watch it. Now nobody watches it. <laughs> I didn't nobody even know it was on. It. I did not know it was on last night until I saw someone retweet, which then I retweeted because it's the best eight minutes in television, which Ricky Gervais, his <laughs> monologue from, I guess it was two years ago. Yeah. That's pure brilliance. I mean, eight of the best minutes of television ever. Just, Come on up, get your award. <laughs> Thank your God, your agent, and move on. Nobody cares about your opinion. Yeah. It's great. I mean, just savagery for eight minutes. And by the way, right on the money, which is what makes it, of course, brilliant, is that it comes from a place of absolute truth. And I'm sure I'm sure all the Hollywood people were doing their Joe Rogan face after uh, Rose Thug knocked that girl out where they was like, when they saw the ratings this morning, right? Holy moly. 9.8 million viewers. 58.6% off from last year. The lowest rating ever. And I got to thinking when I saw it. I think about sports. You think about Coca-Cola. Think about M. Is there a tipping point where some of... Is there ever a point? Or they don't care if it goes to zero. Is there ever a point where they say... It's right now. They don't care. If they cared, they would have, they would have done something about it by now. They don't care. They don't care if it goes to zero. They don't because it's all part of their big... Like you know, it's a big corporate structure that just works. They've they've done the math. They've they've uh, think tanked it out and figured <laughs> out that it doesn't matter what happens here as long as we keep having them pitch our narrative. We're fine. See, see, my question is, I was thinking you got to keep that. up with your math skills. Is that what you're saying math, in Hollywood? Yeah. yeah. Okay. They don't care. They just as long as they keep selling their vaxes and their and their wokeness and their <laughs> they don't care. See, I was matter. thinking about this as well, and I was like, well, okay, well, who doesn't care? Because you know the actors, they're probably like, well, I don't care. I get paid regardless, right? They got a contract. They do a movie. They get paid. Whether that movie makes money or not, they're going to get paid. Sometimes. Until all of a sudden they go for their next movie. And now guess what? The studio girl be, be like, well, you know what? You really didn't make, mo- you didn't make us much money next time. So this time we're only going to pay you this. I think it's once this starts to, it hasn't hit them yet. At least the actors and the actresses. I don't think it's hit them yet. I don't think the studio is going to worry about it too much. But I think it's once it starts to hit them, I think you're going to see some something start to change. But it's going to it, it, it's going to be a while. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a tipping point or not. I, I guess if it was. They would have hit it already. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. This 
This rating is pretty. Oh, last year's rating stunk. The Golden Globes stunk, right? What was the other one that that everyone likes? Uh, uh, the Grammys. The Grammys. That's that usually stunk. stinks. Yep. Yeah, they're all a big political sideshow. By the way, we'll, we'll get we get mo- more coherent politics though out of the Oscars than we're going to get Wednesday night from Joe Biden's uh, State of the Union probably. Which uh, are they actually calling it State of the Union? I haven't really seen that thrown around. I know he's a, an address to a joint session of Congress. It's got to be the State of the Union, right? Is that, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. Stake in the and, onion. And from what I understand, there's only select members of Congress are going to be invited. AOC is, and Bernie Sanders. Which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let me tell you who should not be invited. Let me tell you who should not be there as a member of the president's team. Joe Biden. And let me tell you who who should probably be under criminal or some sort of investigation, but won't be. And that's where we're going to start tonight. Obviously, with John Kerry, who I've told you now for five years doing this show is the single worst uh, politician ever, the single worst Secretary of State of my lifetime, and that includes Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and of course, today we get the breaking news. Uh, of this story that is really unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable to think we have gone through, um, in the last days of the Obama administration, Joe Biden as vice president being in, I believe it was January 5th, the meeting in the Oval Office, and what did he call for for Mike Flynn? The Logan Act, which started this whole investigation and going after Mike Flynn. We've seen all of these, what happened when President Trump was in office, about him being accused of being a Russian agent, his family being accused of this, people around him being accused of that, them using the Logan Act as a pretext to go after Mike Flynn. And today we find out that John Kerry, while President Trump and his administration was in office, told the Iranian regime, the number one sponsor of terror around the world, about Israel's covert operations against them. I have so much on this story. I'll start from Red State, the New York Times. and This this came in the New York Times, but of course you had to read for about 30 paragraphs to get to the key part of the story. John Kerry disclosed Israel's military operations in Syria to the Iranian foreign minister. A truly fascinating story broke on Sunday in the New York Times, but readers had to get to about paragraph 25 to find out the key detail about John Kerry. During the Trump administration, Kerry informed the Iranian foreign minister Mohammad Javad Sarif, that Israel had been attacking Iranian interests, military targets in Syria throughout the Trump administration. Former Secretary of State John Kerry informed him, this is from the article in the Times, that Israel had attacked Iranian interests in Syria at least 200 times. To his astonishment, Mr. Zarif said, and um, I've, I've heard some people talking about the word astonishment and what Mr. Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, was astonished by. I don't think he was astonished at the fact that there was 200 times that they attacked Iranian interests. I don't think that would come as any big surprise. I think the stunning part was that John Kerry was the one telling him this. That has to be the part that's astonishing because it is astonishing. 
That one sentence is the only reference in the story about John Kerry, although there may be a reason for that, as I'll explain here below. By the way, this is in Red State, written by our shipwreck crew, one of our favorite personalities over there, uh, former federal prosecutor, I believe. But this is the same newspaper that spent the better part of four years excoriating the Trump administration and retired General Michael Flynn over a telephone call with the Russian ambassador a few weeks before Flynn became the national security advisor. John Kerry was nothing more than a private citizen at the time of his communications with the Iranian foreign minister, with no plan or expectation that he would ever have another position in government that would bring him into official contact with the Iranian foreign minister. The New York Times story is not about meetings or discussions between former Obama administration officials and their friends in the Iranian government. Rather, it is a fascinating story about a tape-recorded conversation between Zarif and an economist named Saeed uh, Leilas, an ally inside Iran. Zarif discusses with Leilas many aspects of his role as foreign minister, and the fact that in the structure of the Iranian government, his efforts through diplomacy were always constrained by the wishes of the Iranian military, including Major General Hassim Soleimani, the commander of the Iranian National uh, Revolutionary Guards elite uh, force, the foreign-facing arm of Iran's security apparatus, who was killed by the United States in January 2020. Zarif's recorded comments were in many ways critical of Suleimani. The general, this is now from Mr. the recordings, the general, Mr. Sharif said, Suleimani undermined me at many steps, working with Russia to sabotage the nuclear deal between Iran and world powers and adopting policies towards Syria's long war that was, that was damaging to Iran's interests. Mr. Zarif said Russia did not want the agreement to succeed and put all its weight behind creating obstacles because it was not in Moscow's interest for Iran to normalize relations with the West. Uh, according to the New York Times, the tape was not meant for public release when it was first leaked to London-based Persian news channel Iran International. Zarif's recorded comments have voices in Iran calling for Zarif's resignation. One important disclosure made by Zarif was the fact that the decision by President Trump to kill Soleimani in January 2020 struck a massive blow to the Iranian military and government. The Times quotes uh, analysts as suggesting that the release of Zarif's comments has done great damage to the efforts to renew discussions between the U.S. and Iranian diplomats aimed at resurrecting the agreement between Iran and Western governments on Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons. That would be the first time John Kerry sold out the country. Well, at least as far as we know. This, this would be now, as far as we know, the second. But that raises the question, is this the first or second time? Is it the tenth time? Is it the ninth time? Who has John Kerry spoken to? And what other things has he told them about what America's doing? about what plans we have around the world? Is this, the, is this a sole um, isolated incident? Is it not an isolated incident? How long has he been doing this? What was he telling people when he was Secretary of State? I mean, how do we find this out? Because this is really a stunning story. To think that a private citizen, former Secretary of State, 
as the article rightly points out, that at that point has no reason to think he'll ever be back in government. No reason to be a special envoy on climate change to the dumbest president ever, (laughs) who most people think didn't get elected. He's telling the number one state sponsor of terrorism around the world what our number one ally in the world is doing. I mean, it's, it's absolutely traitorous. It, it, it really does border on that. I, I don't see how you can not, you don't, can't throw that term around in my estimation. I don't see how you can't almost call it that. Well, yeah, uh, let, let's, let's see. Uh, he's collaborating with our number one enemy uh, against our number one ally. That, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking that's being a traitor, especially since he's not in a position to represent the country. Back to this Red State article. The, that analysis seems to imply, oh, I don't have time. All right, well, I got a lot to do on John Kerry tonight, so I'm going to be solely focused on this story. And you should be, too. All right, we'll do other news and sports and other things, too, when we get back live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in on a Monday night. Live from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour. Back to um, John Kerry here before we do some news. Uh, Given the overall tenor of the story and the significance of the tape's release independent of the reference on the tape to John Kerry, it is not surprising that the single reference to John Kerry's action is buried at the bottom of the New York Times story. The New York Times obviously knew Zarif's comments about Kerry would make its way into foreign media. So it covered the reference, but provided no context or background to explain it. But that doesn't make the fact that Kerry betrayed a key U.S. ally, Israel, to a hostile foreign actor in conversations while he was a private citizen. Uh, Kerry may not be an anti-Semite, but it is certainly no friend of conservative government led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. As, the widely report, as widely reported in 2015 and 16, the Obama administration's State Department assisted nonprofits and non-governmental organizations in efforts to defeat Netanyahu in his election in 2015. John Kerry was Secretary of State when the operation to get Netanyahu defeated was undertaken. How much damage this story might actually do to Zarif's standing in the Iranian government remains to be seen. But the Biden administration understands today that it will likely need to seek out another willing advocate on the Iranian side for a return to the bargaining table. And that uh, and that Israel is prepared to take whatever steps it deems necessary in its own interests to prevent that from happening. I have a lot more on this story, but I'm not going to just keep knocking you over the head with it. But I got to tell you, I just find this story unbelievably. Jen Psaki's response today, by the way, to this question was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic in that we see this White House talk about and comment about everything under the sun. Um, Do we have that, G? 
Okay, so anyway, Saki was asked about this today, and she basically, she basically said, well, we, we have no comment on leaked tapes. Well, but they comment on every other leaked thing that happened. I mean, they comment <laughs> on everything. What do you mean you have no comment on it? This is your envoy of um, climate appointed by the president. I mean, is he? what kind of secret information is he privy to still? And, and what happens? The, like Paul said, the media, I think he said it during the social media break. The media is not exactly um, out there like they were when, I don't know, anything with Trump happened in Trump Tower meetings, this meeting, that meeting, Logan Act. Um, is he going to sell his hotels? I mean, they were on every single thing they could try to come up with that had foreign influence written all over it, that they'd made stuff up if they had to. Now, here's a legit story with a tape of the guy going, I can't believe this guy told me this. It's astonishing. And the media is, it's nowhere, this story is barely being reported on in any factual way. Where's the, investi- where's the investigation going to be? Is Pelosi going to open one? Is uh, Schumer going to open one? Are the Democrats going to open one? Is there going to be a special counsel? I mean, we had, we had what's his name? Special counsel appointed to look into um, Trump. Think all the people, think of all the people in Trump's universe. In 16, 17, 18, 19, what they all went, Carter Page. Think about what Carter Page went through. And there was almost, almost no evidence that Carter Page was some kind of an asset for any foreign uh, government at all. At all. As a matter of fact, the evidence was that he was working for the FBI or CIA, <laughs> no, some, he, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a CIA asset. Yeah. That the FBI knew about in 2011. They had, they had it documented. And then, and then you mentioned Trump. Back in 2019, Trump accused Kerry of violating federal law by siding with Iran and said, you know, John Kerry speaks to them a lot. John, Terry, John Kerry tells them not to call. That's a violation of the Logan Act. And frankly, he should be prosecuted on that. And again, that's from uh, Trump in May of 2019 when he, when he was still allowed to use Twitter. I mean, I don't know what you classified John Kerry as, as a private citizen telling the Iranians this, but I mean, if you're going to go after um, Carter Page as being some, I mean, what do you classify this behavior as? There's much more evidence of him working as an agent of, the, of, of Iran than there is a Carter Page working as one of Russia. We have a tape of a guy saying, yeah, he told me this. Yeah, and you would think that, you know, during that time when he was me- having these meetings and such, being that, uh, you know, he is an American citizen meeting with a f- hostile foreign nation, that there would be recordings of that or, or there'd be uh, a paper trail of where he was, who he was with. So I think there's a lot more. This, this Again, I, it, it's interesting to find out who actually leaked this. Well, I could tell you again, if you want me to, I read it from the article in Red State, whatever the name of the Iranian paper was. Right. That's the paper. But who leaked it to the paper? Well, the paper had the recording. They leaked the recording. The paper leaked the recording. Hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't see how this is not, um, how there's, some, there's not an investigation set up to look into this. Because he's I mean, in the club. I, I mean, mean, I know he's in the club. I know he's Joe Biden's buddy in the Senate for all those years and everything else. But these guys are above the law, man. Yep. 
I mean, that's the problem. It's just above the law. I mean, this is this is it. I mean, it's the same people. It's the same players, the same ones who are leading the charge against Trump, that big sticky fly in the ointment who was wrecking and rocking their gravy train. Passengers were getting ticked off, and here they are, back to business as usual. And they're sloppier. They're sloppier because they're trying to make up for lost time. You can imagine if there was a private citizen in Trump's world that did this, let's say like right now under Biden was doing it, and we found out about it, what it would be. I mean, I just don't, I don't know how he can skate on this. I don't know how he stays as a special envoy. And how, I don't know how there's not some answers. We have to get to some answers on this. Whether the media wants to face it or not, or wants yeah. to get to it or not, it would seem to me. I mean, what, what else was put at jeopardy? Was there any other... Um, Were there details? Intelligence? What, well, right. Uh, yeah, right. What, what else was compromised here? Because he just makes that one quick mention of it. He, he was astonished at the, you know, what he was hearing about. But then he doesn't go into detail. So you, don't, you wonder how much detail Kerry has been providing over the years. Because this isn't the first time they've talked. Exactly. That's exactly right. What else has he done to undermine the former administration in, with, our, with the number one state sponsor of terror? You can even go back to when he was Secretary of State. What was he doing to undermine the country while he was Secretary well, of State? Well, the whole damn administration was doing that. He was right at home under, the, under Obama. So that, that doesn't surprise me. It's what he's done since then to protect Obama and try to keep his stuff in place, which would be my question. What has he done in the last four years? I mean, is there anybody who could hear this story and think this is a one-off conversation? That, this, that, that the, you have the Iranian foreign minister saying, yeah, I was, I was pretty astonished that this guy told me this 200 times, told me where, what they're going after and what Israel's doing. I mean, I, I don't know. Crazy. That seems, it just seems <laughs> absolutely crazy to me. Um, I, you know, he's a national security threat. He's got he's to step down and, and he's got to be, uh, I think, detained. Well, the, the resident in chief is a, is a national security threat. Well, it really, it really goes, it really goes to Merrick Garland, right? You would think. I mean, or it goes to. Con- I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether it should be a congressional. I mean, they're the ones who have oversight. Should it be criminal? I mean, are we going to expect Merrick Garland to make a comment on this? Doubtful. No, but it really he, would fall with them. He's too busy investigating police departments in different cities. Useless. I mean, it's unbelievable, this story. All right, we'll do some news when we get back. Then I'll get back to this. Um, David Harsani has a piece on this in National Review today. Senator Cruz has put out a statement. We'll get to all of that when we get back live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Just getting started. Good week coming up. Glad you're in. minutes past the hour live from studio 6b on a monday night glad you're in 
We're going to do some news here with Paul Nolan. We'll do some sports with Rick Emirati coming up in a little bit as well. But let's start with the news. What else is going on in the news, Mr. Nolan? Well, just to stay with the John Kerry theme, I did want to just touch on briefly that Fox News has an article um, regarding New York Times buried bombshell that John Kerry told Iran about Israel, covert operations in Syria. And it's... uh, the New York Times is taking criticism for burying the report from former Secretary of State John Kerry that told Iran um, secrets about uh, its interests. And uh, the story focuses on the leaked audio that you had mentioned earlier of Mohammed Javad Zarif. So it's nice to see that some people are actually going to some some news media outlets are actually attacking the slimes for their incredibly dishonest way of uh, operating again, which is something I just think is important that like if we co- we should be covering the media and their lies as much as we should be covering the topics. And I just think there's a good, uh, just something that's important that we, we see more, more of these mainstream outlets attacking, especially, you know, uh, anything that t- attacks the Times and, the, and WAPO that gets away with murder. Well, the, the New York Times, if, if I remember at the time, and I've heard Levin talk a lot about this, denies the existence of the Holocaust. So I think at that point you can pretty much chalk up that they're not going to be running with any stories that um, are pro-Israel, I would think. I mean, and is, it's also kind of interesting to think about John Kerry. And you think of all of the, um, all the people in the Democratic Party that you would think would be a little, have a little more allegiance um, to Israel. And they just don't. And it's just shocking to me, honestly. Yeah. And you know what, Paul, in looking at that, when you said that, paying attention to the media, I went to CNN.com, not one headline yeah, man. talking about Joe Biden. I mean, uh, John, John Kerry. Kerry. Nothing. No. Nothing. Zero. Not They've got zilch. a new census data. They've got uh, a fact checked on, on Fox News. That's interesting. Uh, but nothing. Nothing about the... They shouldn't even be allowed to print the words fact check after what the Project Veritas did exposing them and they're just deliberate lies. I mean, they have zero credibility. It's, it's over for them. Yeah. I mean, I'll go, I'm on MSNBC.com right now. The top stories here. The states that gained and lost the most through the census. GOP's woke capitalism hysteria has sent Marco Rubio and company into panic mode. Um, one body cam, 20 seconds, Andrew Brown story, Chauvin story, uh, Justice Sotomayor, Savage Justice Kavanaugh's latest decision, the GOP's latest compromise, Hollywood's problems are deeper than meets the eye, Mike Pompeo made staffers walk his dog. Okay, let me keep going down the front page here. McCarthy contradicts McCarthy on Trump, Supreme Court sets stage for major Second Amendment ruling. Down to the second part of the fold, uh, Stacey Abrams, far-right Republicans, Morning Joe, Parade, how Biden, how high should Biden raise the capital uh, gains tax? Oh, that's good. Yeah, lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, I could keep looking here, but I don't see uh, the words John Kerry anywhere. Yeah. Nowhere. I just pulled up Washington Post. They're talking about the U.S. Uh, population growing at a slow rate. They've got U.S. to share up to 60 million AstraZeneca vaccines. Yeah, because those things are going so well in Europe. Good. (laughs) Justice Department to investigate Louisville Police Department. Let me me do a search for John Kerry's name on MSNBC. Well, just do a search on Google. It's nowhere. While you guys are doing that, I think from War Room Pandemic, um, Democrat blast media for lies about Arizona election audit. Democrat led voter integrity group is siding with Maricopa audit 
and blasting the media for lying about it. John Brakey, a Bernie Sanders supporter, is standing against the left secrecy and voter integrity and the full accounting of ballots. Brakey joined War Room Monday and blasted the media for their lies about the audit, examining the 2.1 million ballots. We, and he said, uh, we should not have to wonder if we have democracy or not. Voting in this country is a secret process. The actual counting is a public process, Brakey said. And, uh, you know, so he said people are losing their faith in the system. Brakey was also the co-founder and director of Audit USA, explained the previous audits were not audits at all. He said there was just voter integrity, not uh, it's not a right or left issue. Uh, we have to get to the bottom of this. So at least hopefully we're seeing some people with some integrity emerge. So this thing in, in Arizona, I, I don't know if you have the president's statement. I, I saw it, yeah. He put out a statement today. Um, you have it? I do. I have it, yeah. So what did the president say today? So uh, he said, an incredible organization and integrity taking place in Arizona with respect to the fraudulent 2020 presidential election. These are great American patriots. But watch the radical left Democrats, the mean and destroy campaign will start very soon. They will say anything they can to take away the integrity, validity and credibility of what these incredible patriots are doing. But the people of Arizona won't stand for it. They were among the earliest to see that this was a rigged election. And um, I think he went on later in this article to say a little bit more, but that that pretty much uh, surmises all of it. Okay, that's a little different than the statement I saw. I just pulled up the one that I saw earlier. He's Trump, this is what Trump put out from his office of 45. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. Oh, you have it? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Um, I'm sorry. It's going a little slow here. So, yeah, the full statement is... Um, I'm sorry, Big D. If you I got it. He says, Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona, one of the worst governors in America <laughs> and the second worst Republican governor in America, is refusing to provide security for the American patriots who are hand counting the rigged 2020 Arizona election ballots. So that today from um, President Trump. And I'm assuming when he says the second worst Republican governor, the first one would be, of course, Brian Kemp in Georgia. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but that was the pres- that was the former president's um, statement today about what's going on in in Arizona. So, now when we looked at this last week, the I guess the judge said that he was this was going to be temporary. So, I don't know. It just seems like a big mess. Have you seen the video feed? They're doing a pretty good job in terms of trying to keep it as transparent as possible. Uh, there's a website dedicated to it. I believe it's auditaz.org. Yeah. And if you go there, I think there's like nine cameras they have yep. set up. Viewing everything, showing everything, and uh, a lot of patriots protecting the building and protecting the nonsense that comes with this sort of thing. Yeah. All right, we'll keep following that. What else is um, going on in the news, Paul? In just the news, growing number of black leaders embrace voter ID, reject Biden's Jim Crow claims. Uh, Mark Robinson knows a thing or two about the political appeal of voter ID. After all, he became North Carolina's first African-American lieutenant governor of last November, running as a Republican who vowed to restore voter identification for the state's elections. And he won, even as the GOP's top 
uh, of the of the ticket fell to the Democratic uh, Roy, Governor Roy Cooper. So Ro- Robinson chafes when he hears national Democrats like Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams claim that asking for an ID to vote is disenfranchising as the voter suppression tactics of the Jim Crow era. So we, uh, I know you guys did his video on Thursday. I'm, I'm sorry I missed that, but it was that's mandatory, must see uh, TV right there. That was that was tremendous. He was very similar in that clip that we played to what he was like on John Solomon's special about the election, and very similar to every time I've heard him talk. Which, by the way, I think I started mentioning uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson on this show about four or five months ago. Um, I had heard him give a couple different speeches and thought to myself, this, this guy is pretty good. And uh, yes. since then, we have seen a, a lot more of him, and he continues to be very good. Uh, but he was excellent in that the clip we played last week. So, All right, what else, Paul? Anything um, else? Yeah, California Governor Newsom recall effort has more than enough verified signatures. The movement to recall Democratic uh, Governor Gavin Newsom has achieved more than enough um, obtained uh, to recall this, uh, the election. It was um, the uh, press release declares the valid signatures in the 10th report that uh, 1,626,000, which exceeds the one and a half million that signatures it requires. And uh, the, uh, in a statement from uh, National California Secretary of State, uh, Shirley Weber, she said, um, this now triggers the next phase of the recall process, a 30 business day period in which voters may submit written requests to the county registrars of voters to remove their names from the recall petition. A recall election will be held unless a sufficient number of signatures signatures are withdrawn. So that would be fun to see him get the uh, So the question is, is there any leadership out in California that has an IQ higher than 12 that can run, that actually has um, some ways to not turn California continually into Venezuela pretty soon or whatever? And we've talked about leadership coming out of California, and I keep shaking. You know, the number one viewing audience of this show, as I've told you now for (laughs) years and has been for years, most times as I check it on a monthly or quarterly basis, is California. Yeah, half dozen. California. (laughs) Yeah, we have a half dozen, which leads by three of uh, Texas, which has three viewers. Don't get upset, D. Look at him. He's getting No, I'm not getting upset. I'm just saying it's the number one viewing audience of the show is California. And we talk about when you go down the line, what even from past Barbara Boxer, Nancy Pelosi, Eric Swalwell, the Governor Newsom, and Ted Lieu, and Dianne Feinstein. I mean, you could just go through them all. And you just want, how is this the state that Ronald Reagan, I mean, you just, what is going on in California? Is it possible, are you suggesting maybe there is uh, voter fraud there? Because I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of people from Cali, and I'm, I do a lot of business on the West Coast, and I, it's so rare, other than when you're talking to people from San Fran, that they're not red. I'm telling you, I can't get over how much, everyone's like, I can't believe what's going on in this country. What do you mean? You, you did this. Not me. I'm telling you, man. I, yeah. I talk to a lot of people from California, and Outside of San Fran, where it's completely bonkers, bonkers. There's nobody there that's normal. But 
I'm telling you, I, I I just don't trust the system myself anymore. It's just so hard to believe that Nancy Pelosi is always, you know, well, at the top of the list. How? Yeah, well, Who's think about it. For her? You mentioned San Francisco, and that's, that's where all these lunatics come from. Newsom, San Francisco. He was the mayor. He was uh, Mr. Kimberly Guilfoyle for a while. Uh, you got Ted Lieu out of San Francisco. He was criminal there. You got all the Pelosi, San Francisco. They're all connected. So if you if you're thinking, Kamala. hey, something seems a little shady in California, uh, you know, maybe a, a CA audit is is uh, should be done. Because let's face it, you go down to Orange County. Orange County is red. The fact that they were able to flip those seven house seats back in 2018 in the yep. last minute tells you something is up. Yeah, man. So if you really want to do an audit, go look at California, because I guarantee you it's a lot more red than people realize. That's why most of the people who watch the show are probably living there. I don't know if you guys covered this on Thursday, but there was a billboard in New York City that slams MLB's decision on the All-Star game and the billboard read all strikes and no balls. That's a good sign. I like that. A prominent small business group, Job Creators Network, is placing a billboard in Manhattan demanding Major League Baseball return its All-Star game to Atlanta, saying the decision to move the event unnecessarily hurts small uh, black businesses and amounted to all strikes and no balls. The billboard <laughs> set to go up on Monday near MLB Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred's office urges viewers to go to the website called MLBFail.com where Job Creators Network lays out the economic consequences of the decision to protest Georgia's new election integrity law. That's a good billboard. Man, that applies to a lot of people these days. All right, live from Studio 6B, we'll do some sports, more news. We get back right after this. From Studio 6B, glad you're in on a Monday night. Lots to do still. Got a crazy town coming up. Our own David Brody from uh, Real America's Voice was in the briefing room today. And he asked a question of Jen Psaki. I'll give you that as well. He asked a question on unity. Good question. How did question. he get in there? Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask Mr. Brody if I could steal his pass. Maybe I could get in there. That's not going to go well. Yeah, they'll never notice you. <laughs> It'll be the there. last day he has a pass. Uh, all right, let's do some sports here. 13 to the hour with Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, Big D. Well, Rick Delgado's taking a little bit of a zinging on social media with his LSU shirt tonight. Oh. So uh, I'm going to segue <laughs> right into that state. I noticed that when he came in. I'm thinking, here we go. Now we're just going to piss off everybody down in every place in the SEC. Oh, boy. We have a Why? big, big fan base down Why? there. It, it was a gift. Yes. Well, let's go to Louisiana because we had the PGA. This is from the CBS Tour leaderboard. Wild one, the Zora Classic at TPC Louisiana. And uh, Cameron Smith's aggressiveness on the TPC Louisiana's waterline 16th hole appeared to doom his team's chances of winning the Zora Classic when his 294-yard drive bounced off an embankment near the green and into the water. This is an AP report. Smith's teammate, fellow Austrian, Australian Mark Leishman, then flipped the script with a deft chip. Leishman made a birdie after a penalty 
penalty drop in the rough, about 23 feet from the pin, pulling him and Smith into a tie with South African duo of Lewis Oswashen and Carl Schwartzel. That wasn't broken until the Aussies won the first playoff hole Sunday. If you look at the leaderboard, there's a four-way tie. They all shot a 268 four-day big D. Four, uh, it's incredible. But uh, in the playoff, though, you know, Cameron Smith uh, had pulled it out and uh, had a tie with... Uh, with um, so, um, Scar- Smith, Leishman, yeah. Schwartzel, and who else? Who was the fourth? And uh, Oswashen. Oswashen. Tough name to pronounce. I don't know. Household name. Yeah. I don't know who that is. That was a tough one. <laughs> Austhausen. Austhausen. I feel like I'm in a uh, German pork store getting Weisswurst, Bockwurst, and Bratwurst. But uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Good match, good match, so good weekend there. Let's go to the MLB final. Royals 3-2 over the Tigers earlier today. Uh, bottom of the eighth, Twins and Indians locked at three. Mid-sixth, Orioles over the Yankees 2-1. Bottom fourth, Braves lead the Cubbies 5-4. Mid-fifth, Athletics over the Rays 2-1. A's are hot. Uh, and uh, right now, top fourth, Marlins and Brewers tied at nothing. Uh, Phillies and Cardinals, nothing-nothing top fifth. Angels right now trail the Rangers 4-1. Top second. Astros are blanking. The Mariners 2-0 mid-second. Rockies visit the Giants at 945 and the Reds, who've lost seven in a row, head out to Los Angeles to take on the Dodgers at 10-10. NHL action, mid-third. Canadians over the Flames, 2-1. Second period, Canucks right now trail the Senators, 2-1. End of the second, Blues over the Avalanche, 4-1. Second period, also Stars leading the Hurricanes, 2-0. And uh, late first, Panthers and Predators tied at 1. Oilers visit the Jets at 9. Ducks at the Kings at 10. And the Coyotes visit the Sharks, 10-30 puck drop. Okay, so now I got. I just went and looked at the Louis Oosthuizen, South African, not German. Louis Oosthuizen. Yeah, well, I always say I didn't say he was German. I just said okay. I felt like I was at a German. So Schwartzel, Oosthuizen, Smith, and, and Leishman were the final four. I got you. Okay. Yeah, and that was like a four-way tie. Night one, night two, really a hotly contested uh, tournament. Uh, NBA action. Knicks, big data. Knicks are hot, man. Seven in a row. What are you talking about? They're in fourth place in the East right now. I saw that, that they were in fourth. They flashed the standings. I almost collapsed. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. They're like ham and eggs, man. They're on a roll. I told you they were coming. Uh, Knicks leading the Suns (laughs) 59-53. Love those corny jokes. Second quarter. (laughs) You don't say. 49-48 Cavs over the uh, Raptors. That's at the half. Jazz right now lead the Timberwolves 33-17 in the second. Heat 21-19 over the Bulls in the first. And uh, Clippers uh, right now getting hammered by the Pelicans. 31-16. Zion Williamson with seven points in that game. Uh, Mavs at the Kings at 10. And Grizzlies visit the Nuggets 9. Also NBA action. Spurs 73-72 over the Wizards in the third. Magic right now 61-60 over LeBron's Lakers. That's also in the third. Six is up by 20 over the Thunder. Embiid with 19. He's on a roll as well. And Pistons 70-57 over the Hawks in the third. Let's go to NASCAR. Wild one. I made sure I watched that. I got this report from Levi Johnson, my 16-year-old LFS6B and Slick Rick sports follower. He actually wrote the report for me, for me, Big D. <laughs> this is from Rochester, Washington. Good man. You know, you know good old Levi. Anyway, Brad Keselowski wins at Talladega with overtime pass, and Joey Logano were involved in an airborne wreck. I don't know if anybody got a chance to see that. Wish we could show the highlights. His car just literally just went up like a almost like a piece of styrofoam on the expressway, and uh, thankfully he came out of it unscathed. Uh, but despite last year's controversy of the Confederate flag and later ban, uh, which is which uh, has since changed at Talladega, yesterday's NASCAR 
Carl Cup Series race was the most craziest race we've seen in a while. Toyota cars had to start in the back of the pack due to unapproved adjustments. A little playing around there with those Toyotas. Uh, Matt D. Benedetto won stage one. Uh, two penalty laps cost Hamlin his early lead in stage two. And then a five-car wreck gave Bubba Wallace his very first stage victory win. Uh, later, Wallace's spark subsided, which opened it up for everyone else. In overtime, it was Brad Keselowski with a half lap to go and a little help from Michael McDowell, his doobie brother, holding the edge to seal the win and earned his 35th career win. So good win there for Keselowski. He's also coming on strong this season. And we have Rodeo, the Angelina Benefit Rodeo, reporting on that Thursday and Friday. Big day, Lufkin, Texas, the George Henderson Expo Center. Finals, bareback, Tyler Broussard riding on Suncatcher with an 87. Logan Cook on satin sheets, 88 and a half. wonder if those are purple. Uh, bull riding, Dakota Eagleburger, let's gamble. Paul, your kind of guy, 89 and a half on that one. Uh, steer wrestling, William Lewis, <laughs> winner with 9.4 seconds and two. want to make sure you're listening. Team roping, Lightning Aguilar. Good old lightning. And Shea Dixon Carroll, 7.7 second, two-rounder. And tie down, Kincaid, Henry Kincaid, Kincaid Henry, 7.7 seconds. And bow racing, Cheyenne Wimbley, 15.18 seconds. And let's get into this, Big D. I'm sure you caught the fight on Saturday night. Kamru Usman knocks out George Masvidal in second round to retain UFC welterweight title. This is from Mark Raimonde, ESPN staff writer. <laughs> UFC welterweight champion Kamru Usman dominated George Masvidal last, last year over five Jorge. rounds. But Usman Jorge, Jorge wasn't Masvidal. satisfied. Jorge Masvidal. Not George Masvidal? No. I, I've heard <laughs> George Masvidal. Kamara Trust Usman. Me. Kamara you can call him Usman. Georgie if you want. Yeah, uh, so you can call him Georgie. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Usman put a stamp on his rivalry with Masvidal on Saturday night, dropping Masvidal with a crushing right hand and following up on the ground for a knockout victory at one minute, two seconds of the second round in the main event of 261 in Jacksonville, Florida. With the victory, Usman defended his 170-pound title. It was the first time the famously durable Masvidal had been finished by KO, TKO, since 2008. The bout to took place at the, the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena, uh, the first UFC event with a capacity crowd of 15,269 folks down in Florida, and uh, that was the attendance according to the UFC. In addition to that, you had uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, she dominated Jessica Andrade to retain the UFC women's flyweight in a good fight, and uh, Rose Namayunas uh, wins the UFC strawweight title with a shocking knockout of Zhong Wali, and that was another Pretty surprising fight to see there uh, with the featherweight. So good action all around, Big D, on Saturday night. Um, it was good action. I watched it. Uh, I'll tell you a couple things. Kamaru Usman hit Masvidal so hard, my face hurt. <laughs> wow. That's how hard yeah. he hit him. He, he broke hit my him. TV screen. He hit him with the cleanest oh right hand God. I have ever seen. And Masvidal went down, and he jumped on him, starts pounding, and Masvidal even while he's dead, was still trying to get back up. I mean, he was He's dead. a warrior. Unbel he was trying to get back up. He's a warrior. While I, he was dead. He I will was tell you. Dead on the, his feet. That the, was um, sick. The moment of the night, unfor well, unfortunately. Oof. But it was the single most gruesome thing I've ever seen in my oh, life. So gross. Was Long Island Zone, uh, Chris Weidman. And I yeah. felt terrible. Terrible. And, and maybe the nicest kid. He trains oh, the same God. gym with my son. He's the nicest kid you could ever dream of meeting. He broke his leg. And mm. when I say broke his leg, it broke so bad, Ugh. it was visibly it, hanging. It was gruesome. I have the still photos of it. It was. Yeah. And, and what, what's crazy is that seven years earlier, the same thing happened. He was in the ring. 
Correct. Against yeah. Silva. Against Silva, yes. I felt bad for him because he looked like he was in good shape, ready to fight. I mean, it was the first first thing that was thrown in the fight was the, his first kick. No punches were thrown. One kick, and he snapped his leg right below his Ugh. knee so bad that it, I, 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 can't even, I couldn't even explain it. All right, hour two. Lots more to do. Thanks, Rick, for sports. We'll do more sports in hour two. More news coming up. Glad you're in on a Monday night live from Studio 6B. from Studio 6B. Hour two on a Monday night. Glad you're in. Paul Nolan's going to do some more news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amorati's going to do more sports. I've got some more stuff on John Kerry, that phony, gold-plated, lion, treasonous, <laughs> wretched human being that he is. This unbelievable story today, or Sunday, I guess it was technically, uh, that the New York Times tried to bury, although they, they did it, but then they tried to bury it within the story about how he's tipping off Iran on what Israel's been doing as a private citizen. Just it's unbelievable, this story. So I've got some more stuff on that, but let's go to some clips of what happened today. Bunch of good stuff. Um, well, let's start with the crazy town, G, before we get to the individual clips. Let's start with the crazy town. Top of the hour here, hour two, Jen Psaki. Another Monday in the briefing room. Roll it. see how it went uh our special guest today is our director of the national economic <laughs> council brian Deese. Uh, <laughs> i wanted to just provide a little bit of context uh around uh, in particular capital gains uh, taxes um, this change will affect taxpayers making more than a million dollars a year so for the other 997 out of a thousand households in the country uh or the other 150 million uh households in the country see what they do this there? is not a change that will be relevant it's always so much easier for me to play good cop now i realize why well, you know i take all your questions but yeah. <laughs> right. okay come on back um and congratulations and not to embarrass you got married i did yes well, congratulations welcome back thank all you right. thank you jen um first Vice President Harris says that she's not gone to the border yet because we have to deal with COVID issues. What is she referring to? Uh, well, I, I would certainly have to ask her team about that specifically, but I would tell you also that her focus is it's not me. on the border. It's on uh, addressing yeah, the deposits in the Northern Triangle. And she's working with them to ensure there are systems put in place to reduce the, the, the amount of migration coming from these countries. Is there a White House concern when you guys are planning presidential or vice presidential travel, but more about COVID at the border? We certainly know that the number of people who are in facilities, the reason we have been so focused on expediting moving kids out of these border patrol facilities is because we want to uh, reduce the public health impact. And we've made some progress on that front, even over the last few weeks since you got married, I will say. Uh, there was a report in the last couple of days in the New York Post that every migrant child being brought to a shelter is being given a copy of her children's book, Superheroes Are Everywhere. Do you know why that is and if she is making any money off of that? 
I'd have to check with our uh, health and human services team. If uh, you're talking about if they go to shelters or if they go to yeah, in the welcome kit. Apparently, there's a copy of her 2019 children's book. Superheroes are everywhere. I'd have to certainly check on that. Here, it's a good book. But the bottom line oh. is, the president's oh, not God. going to raise taxes on people making less than 400 dollars. That would be like nobody pays taxes, but 400 thousand dollars, and can then that they can that, that can then be used. The same approaches apply to. All, all of these uh, challenges. So uh, obviously we target, you know, we take different approaches. Our latest poll over the weekend shows that the president has a 53% approval rating, which is of course lower than any uh, recent past president except for uh, President Trump, just 52% approve of his handling of the economy. Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, first I would say there were a bunch of polls over the weekend. I know you're asking about yours specifically, but uh, there are also uh, some very positive signs about the American public's view of the president's job he's doing. Uh, these polls show uh, what we have long known, that the president came into office at one of the most divisive moments in modern American history. Uh, and the president's focus is on fulfilling his promise to bring the country together. That is what they will tell you. Yeah, uh, what sure. um, I know reporters, all of you and your colleagues who are uh, reporting, I am, as I've said before, I'm blissfully <laughs> not in the mind of Vladimir Putin. Our efforts Sanders are to increase confidence, cow. I should say, uh, across a range of uh, communities where we've seen uh, some uh, some uh, concern or some question. Uh, Iran's foreign minister says that former Secretary of State John Kerry informed him that Israel attacked Iranian interests at least 200 times. We're not going to comment on leaked tapes. The president believes he's got to govern for all people, and that includes, of course, getting the pandemic under control, which is uh, certainly not impacting people through a political prism. People must leave the briefing room every day. Really, I, like <laughs> they must leave very tired because I have to. I struggle. It takes a lot of energy to even focus on when we play Crazy Town, to focus on them <laughs> and focus and get. I, I feel tired at the end of them. I have to focus so hard. God, that's brutal. G Is it possible an- that she's getting worse at this? Yes, absolutely. G absolutely. takes a nap every day after he's done with that, right? Gio, do you to. need an agent? Because I can get you more money for what you have to go through. I get you my deal. Let's yeah. talk after the show. <laughs> yeah, I want you to do that on the parking lot. Um, <laughs> so a couple things here also happened in the briefing room today. Let's get to some longer question and answers. Our own David Brody was in there from Real America's Voice and from, um, I guess he's there representing Real America's Voice or maybe CBN, which he also does great stuff for. Uh, he asked about Biden and unity. Cut 5G. Let's hear this. Hey, a question on unity. Um, you know, you talk about earlier, you said you wanted to bring, or the president wanted to bring the country back uh, together. So I guess the question is, uh, he has not met with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, according to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what does that say about unity? And also there are some other legislative issues as it relates to H.R. 1 and a commission to study uh, hacking the Supreme Court, as you would say. Uh, and there's a lot of other lists as well, budget reconciliation. So there's a lot of folks, you talk about tens of millions of people, they're concerned about that this doesn't seem like unity at all. 
Do you think tens of millions of people are concerned about him not meeting with Kevin McCarthy? No, I think tens of millions of people are concerned about HR one and budget reconciliation and going with the fifty vote uh, threshold. I think I'm that not was a sure concern. the polling bears that out, but I will say yeah. that the president's view is that bringing the country together is bringing the American people together. So when I say he's uh, he is focused on uh, re bringing you know bringing people together, bringing Democrats and Republicans together, he's not talking about solving bipartisanship in. The, this zip code here. He is talking about proposing policies that address the crises that we're facing, whether it's getting the pandemic under control, putting people back to work. A lot of those policies he's proposed, whether it's the American Rescue Plan or the American Jobs Plan, are supported by the vast majority of the American public, Democrat, Republican, Independent. They certainly want to see him working with with Republicans and Democrats, uh, and here, and he's he's absolutely doing everything he can to do that. He's had a number of Republicans down here to the Oval Office. Uh, he's looking for it. We're we're going to be God. reviewing their proposals, and I think certainly people see that, see him rolling up his sleeves and ready to work with people <laughs> yeah. of all different viewpoints. But why not separate the infrastructure bill the Republicans have, whatever whatever it is, 800 billion or so? Why not just take that, call it unity, call it a deal, and then move on to some of the other legislative priorities within within the total construct? Well, David, as you know, you need 60 votes. You can talk to uh, Republicans in, in the Senate and see how many votes they have. But I will say that where we are now is that we are certainly uh, taking a look at the proposal. Right now, there's deep in the weeds, sometimes nerdy conversations between staffers, members of Congress. We have lots of follow-up questions. I'm sure they have lots of follow-up questions. We're sharing ideas. That's actively happening now. He'll invite some members next week, bipartisan members, to come to the Oval Office and have a discussion about it and what the path forward looks like. Mm -hmm. She says more syllables <laughs> without make, saying anything. Like she just, <clears throat> she just, just every buzzword. That's like word. Um, that answer. If I had known this, I would have saw, uh, seen if David Brody was willing to come on tonight to respond to this and that answer. But that seems a little bit like the Dr. Um, Fauci school of answering the question. We're going to just. Move, move the goal, goalposts. The idea that when Joe Biden, before he got elected or, or during his inauguration, talked about unity, the idea that that didn't mean all of a sudden now it doesn't mean legislatively. It just means like, oh, I'll invite Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney over for lunch once so I can hear what they have to say and then goes in one ear out the other. That's, that, that, that's unity? I mean, that answer is ridiculous. To say, well, well, no, I don't. You know, I don't think uh, the American people thought that it was going to be legislatively here. It's just going to be we're we're going to invite them down and listen to what they have to say, take none of it into consideration, <laughs> do what we, what we want to do anyways. <laughs> that that defines unity. Good God, yeah, is it, somewhat, uh, I mean, disingenuous at best. And she double speaks herself because she's like, well, you know, it's not. It, we're not talking about unity here in this zip code. Well, yeah, she, well, well, then what zip code but, are we talking about? But then she talks about the only unity she's talking about is having some Republicans over for lunch. So, you know, she, she's full of it. Yeah, we're going to have – I mean, he had Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Adam Kinzinger. I mean, those are Democrats for, for, for the most part. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not unity. If what Kevin McCarthy says is true, David asks a good question. That was not an answer to, to that was not an acceptable answer to me. To just move the goalpost and say, well, oh, all of a sudden, well, when he was talking about unity, he didn't mean like in Washington, D.C. or like legislatively 
uh, unity and actually try to get something constructively done. No, 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 no. We're still living in a monarchy and we're going to start keep slamming through every radical piece of socialism we can here as fast as we can until we get we lose all these seats in two years, God willing. That's yeah, that's unity, David. That's what we're doing. That's what the American people want. Yeah, no. Same thing with the polls. I know you're. I know you're asking about your poll specifically. Well, yes. There's other <laughs> polls. Well, which where? What polls? In Iran, John Kerry ran them while he was there. Maybe they have him doing good. No, I have an article. As a matter of fact, uh, where is this from? Yeah. Well, it was. I guess it was that uh, Washington Post ABC News poll on Biden's approval rating at a hundred days shows sobering reality beginning to set in. And let me just get to the crux of it here. Um, Biden's at the 100-day mark in his presidency. The new poll numbers released by Democrat-friendly media outlets show that reality has finally set in for the American people. Despite incessant media fangirling, Biden's approval rating sits at 52%, which is the third lowest 100-day rating since the days of Harry Truman. And there's a couple, Nick Gillespie tweeted, even after spending trillions immediately promising more, Joe Biden is relatively unpopular at the 100-day mark, beating only Ford and Trump. Americans may not be as easy as a supposed. Uh, Giancarlo Sopo tweeted, during his first three months in office, the broadcast evening newscasts have showered Biden with 59% positive press. Four years ago, those same programs were hammering Trump with 89% negative press. A stunning contrast, and yet their 100-day approval is about the same. So get woke, go broke, and everything else. And uh, as we've said, if he ran today and and the people actually knew what was going to happen, even in these first 100 days, I don't care how much cheating there was, he'd he'd get walloped. But does anybody out there trust the polls at all anymore? Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. All right, more news with Paul, more sports, more to do on John Kerry. A couple other things we'll get to. Senator Cruz's statement. And from the comedy section here of Live from Studio 6B, a new segment tonight. Liz Cheney not ruling out a 2024 presidential run. <laughs> the hour live from studio 6p on a monday night we'll get back to a little more more a little bit more about john Kerry, david harsani's piece in national review uh senator cruz's statement mike pompeo has um also said a couple things we'll get to all that but let's do some more news and here with the news is paul nolan what's going on mr so nolan i want to go back to maricopa the judge disqualifies self from maricopa county elections audit challenge uh the judge overseeing the challenge in arizona senate republicans election audit has disqualified himself forcing monday's hearings to be rescheduled the maricopa county superior court spokesman said judge christopher corey recused himself on sunday 
The hearing has been set for 11 a.m. A new judge will be assigned. The audit, however, will continue. Um, ABC 15 local news reported Curry removed himself after learning of the involvement of one attorney whose name appeared on the filings for the first time today, according to an email to the attorneys in the case. The audit got underway Friday at uh, Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Senate Republicans hired outside firm Cyber Ninjas, who began a manual recount of the 2020 election ballots a day after Democrats asked a judge to put an end to the audit. So, um... The judge ordered the company to follow uh, ballot and voter secrecy laws and demand they turn over written procedures and training manuals before the hearing on the Democrats' uh, request. So let's uh, like to see where this one goes. I mean, this this has been nonstop drama, you know, in, in that situation. It's been pretty wild out there. Uh, before you get to the next story here, John Kerry has responded on Twitter now saying... Um I can tell you that this story and these allegations are unequivocally false. This never happened, either when I was Secretary of State or since. Uh, the, uh, then it goes on to tell the story, but that's that's the tweet from um, from John. Let me see what time this was. Yeah, I'm sure he was just over talking to the guy about, you know, maybe grandkids and golf, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, Sarah probably grandkids because you know his daughter married like a real... Big shot in the Iranian consulate. Whose daughter? Carrie. His daughter married who? Some big shot over in Iran, like a big, a big wig over there. I'll look it up. Hold on, I'll find it. No, I'll look, actually, you do news. I'll look that up. Um, but that's from John Kerry, seven twenty p.m. Uh, he did tweet that out. So I, I seen it a while back. I'll, I'll, if you right, we'll find do, it, go ahead. You can do the news, Paul. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out who it is. All right, what else is going on in the news? This is some, I mean, this is from Just the News, one of the main stories. After selling bleach as cure to COVID-19, Florida families, a Florida family faces up to life in prison. I just wanted to touch this because how sick some people are. Nearly a year after the arrest of members of the Bradenton, Florida family for the sale of bleach, they claimed cured coronavirus. A federal jury has brought charges against members of the family for their role in the scheme. They called it the Miracle Mineral Solution. It was sold by Mark uh, Granite, he's 62, and his three sons, uh, Jonathan, Jordan, and Joseph, who all now face several charges of misleading buyers into believing sodium chloride and industrial bleach when mixed with water or injected or ingested was medically safe. Uh, they each face one count of conspiracy to commit fraud and two counts of criminal content. So I just thought it would be um, just an interesting, just an interesting story there. That uh, I don't know. I just people are sick. All right. Anything uh, else in the uh, news? Yeah, you kind of hit the one. I was um, still think it's funny. I wanted to do the Oscar ratings, but uh, you covered that. It's kind of it. I kind of hit everything here other than some uh, saber rattling out of china so all right so senator cruz has reported on uh john Kerry, uh put out a statement now john Kerry has since come out and said this never happened now it's interesting because they say that there's this tape and that senator cruz says if this tape is verified it would signal catastrophic and disqualifying recklessness by envoy John Kerry to Foreign Minister Zarif that endangered the safety of Americans and our allies. And it would be consistent 
with his long pattern of empowering Iran's regime. Kerry poured hundreds of billions of dollars into the Ayatollah's terrorist bank accounts, was a close confidant with Zarif during the Obama administration, and was caught repeatedly meeting with him during the Trump administration, notwithstanding the Logan Act, and has never publicly accounted for what they discussed. So that from Senator Cruz. Uh, Mike Pompeo has also come out tonight, uh, said Kerry must immediately resign from the Biden administration and pushes for an investigation. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Republican foreign policy leaders in Congress are demanding a formal investigation into John Kerry following revelations he informed Iranian leaders about covert Israeli military operations. A leaked audio recording of Iranian foreign minister, Zarif, worked closely with Kerry. Yeah, bum, bum, bum. I told you all that. So uh, Mike Pompeo said the audio tapes prove what I have said for years, quote unquote, that Zarif continued to engage with former Secretary of State John Kerry on policy matters after Kerry's public service. And according to Zarif, Kerry informed the Iranians of Israeli operations. Uh, Before we cut a deal with Iran that reduces Americans' security, Pompeo said, it would be good to know what the arrangement, if any, may have been between these two leaders. Representative Jim Banks from Indiana says John Kerry must resign immediately. Uh, Jim Banks is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. An investigation should be retrospective. These reports are extremely concerning. I'd like the opportunity to ask Secretary Kerry about this in a closed under oath hearing. Senator Tom Cotton, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and its Armed Services Committee, also told the Free Beacon. Daryl Issa, Republican of California, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, echoed calls for an investigation and promised to hold Kerry accountable for the disclosure of sensitive military information. Now, John Kerry denying this holds about as much water to me as uh, OJ denying something. I mean, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. Because if you remember, he lied about the cash back in during the Obama administration, that they were flying it in on planes. So him saying this never happened um, means nothing to me. Let's, let's get the tape, right? or let's hear the tape, or let's get him under oath and ask some questions, or let's ask some other people some questions. And I, and I did find something on his, uh, on his connection to Iran. Pretty interesting. Yeah, you're right, Paul. His daughter, uh, one of his daughters, married Dr. Brian Vala Nahid. Now, now check this out. Um, as Kerry said, I'm very proud of the I- Iranian-Americans in my family and grateful for how they've enriched my life. Further on in the article... Kerry's family connection to Iran is no secret and is a melting pot in the United States. What is significant is that part of the wedding preparations, Kerry went to a dinner party hosted by George Soros at his Manhattan penthouse. He undoubtedly met the best man, Mahdi Zarif, name sound familiar, whose father is Mohammed Zarif, Mm. current Iranian foreign minister. Yeah. So... There's that connection you were talking about. Yeah, I remember that a while back. I couldn't remember the details, but it's just more of that nepotistic. Who do you marry? Like it's you know, it's like you know when someone marry their princess off to get bigger tracts of land. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. They just keep marrying each other off, and then they get them into the media, or they you know, it's just 
Just yeah. It's a never-ending circle of BS. And what's what's interesting about this revelation? It was made by none other than former Congressman Alan West. Yep. Good, good find. There. He revealed it. Hmm. We've had Colonel West on the program. Yep. Maybe it's time to have him back on the program. I would say so. He was a good guest. All right. So maybe we'll look into that as well. All right. Live from Studio 6B. More sports, more news coming up. We'll go back into the briefing room. The other news of the day is this uh, the census and what came out of the census. A couple things here I want to get to. The Census Bureau this afternoon released the state-by-state population figures from the 2020 census that will be used to determine the new number of seats in the House of Representatives and with it, the Electoral College. Let's look at some winners and losers here. Uh, this is, by the way, by Dan McLaughlin. Uh, The winner, he says, is American democracy. There were real fears that the census numbers would come in too late to be practically applied to draw new district lines in the House, which could have set off all manner of trouble. Fortunately, while the time frame is still a bit more compressed than usual, there should be ample time for states to draw new maps. Six states, and there's some slides here, the 2020 census, six states will gain seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Those states are Texas, which gets two, plus two, uh, Colorado, plus one, Florida, plus one, Montana, plus one, North Carolina, plus one, and Oregon, plus one. Seven states will lose seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, California minus one, Illinois minus one, Michigan minus one, New York minus one. It was almost minus two in New York. Um, Ohio minus one, Pennsylvania minus one, and West Virginia minus one. Uh, Winner, Republican presidential candidates. States won by Donald Trump in 2020 gained five electoral votes and lost two for a net gain of three states won by joe biden in 2020 were the opposite five losses two gains for a net loss of three Uh, moreover the shift from the trio of midwestern states that made trump and biden president pennsylvania michigan and ohio to texas and florida is probably good news specifically for a candidate such as ron desantis who can build a home base in those states Modest winners were Minnesota, Alabama, and Rhode Island were all projected to lose seats, but did not. Minnesota was the last to make the cut. By contrast, Arizona failed to gain a seat. And earlier projections of a three-seat gain for Texas and a two-seat gain for Florida did also not materialize. 
On balance, this is less good news for Republicans than the projections were. The losers, New York, California, and Illinois. Shocker. New York <laughs> lost a seat by a margin of 89 votes. But New York's loss was modest. Illinois actually lost net population over the decade. So did West Virginia. California lost a House seat for the first time since entering the Union in 1850, a turn away from its long history of apparently unstoppable growth. Well, people are fleeing these Democratic-run, iron-fisted, top-down um, utopias, if you want to call them that, um, <laughs> by into droves. So it's uh, to me, it's more shocking they all didn't lose more. I mean, it takes a lot to lose a seat, but still. The idea that New York, Illinois, and California are the three losers here should be no surprise. I mean, would New York City lose 2 million residents? I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I can tell you this. With real estate being as hot as it is in New York, you could sell your house for almost whatever price you want to tag you want to put on it and get the hell out of New York and go someplace where you're not taxed to death, regulated to death, where um, your schools are not being pushed with critical race theory and all this other garbage i mean it's becoming it's coming to the point where if, if you're if you're not even you don't even have to be hardcore republican conservative if you're just even moderately centrist and you live in new york leaving the state has to be something you're thinking of especially as you see what's coming with the capital gains tax, with taxes overall, with with um, with the prices going up on everything. I mean, it's already expensive enough to live in New York with everything else going on with property taxes the way they are. How about choking? How about choking off resources to you to to local neighborhoods? Man, roads are terrible in the suburbs, and there's yep. no sign of help on the way. So it doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all that these three states. Um, I'm surprised New York didn't lose more than one. Um. So losers here in New York, California, Illinois. New York lost a seat by 89. New York loss was modest. Illinois actually lost net popularity. Okay, I told you that. Winner, House Republicans, he says. The state's gaining House seats currently have a total of 52 Republican and 37 Democratic seats, counting open seats by the party that held them in November's election. The state's losing House seats currently have a total of 55 Republicans and 94 Democratic seats. While some states, such as New York, may draw new maps that shift those losses to Republicans, the fact remains that states with a lot of House Republicans already are getting more seats at the table, and states with big Democratic caucuses are getting fewer. Split decision, gerrymandering. New maps will need to be drawn by Republican-controlled governments in Texas, Florida, Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia, by Democratic-controlled governments in California, New York, Illinois, Colorado, and Oregon, and by divided governments in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. All told, the impact of the new census map is probably less dramatic than we have been led uh, in recent projections to believe, but still, the overall trend is away from the Midwest and Northeast and towards the Sun Belt. And for the first time in its history, California is not reaping the benefits of that trend. So uh, that's a little bit of the news of the census because that was out there today. Um, speaking of people leaving these states, and one of the reasons would be one of the other big things that we've talked about on this show, and people will give you make-believe numbers that it's not real, is inflation. And PG, PG, uh, PJ Media 
has a piece today. Inflation might bring down Biden. Republicans take heed. He says there's one specter that is haunting the Democratic Party. A specter that not many people are talking about. (laughs) The specter of inflation. Inflation is an insidious tax that robs the poor and the middle class. It favors the U.S. government, the world's biggest debtor, because the government expects to pay back its creditors in monopoly money. It crushes the real earnings of the vast majority of American households and destroys their savings. That's what the Democrats are up to. And that's what might bring them down, just as 12% inflation brought down Jimmy Carter in 1980. It is time for Republicans to cry thief and hold Joe Biden to account for the disaster that has already begun to befall America. Alexis de Tocqueville warned us nearly two centuries ago that democracies fail when people decide to vote themselves rich. Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package and his proposed $2.3 trillion bribes to Democratic constituencies masquerading as infrastructure are exactly what de Tocqueville warned about. With a federal borrowing requirement around 15% of national income financed mainly by the Federal Reserve purchases of Treasury debt, the U.S. is headed for an absolute disaster. This is too much even for Obama's Treasury Secretary, Larry Summers, who warned last week that inflation indicators are flashing a big red alarm. This is a Ponzi scheme, not an economic policy. Throwing massive amounts of cash out the helicopter window while throttling investment by raising corporate income tax and capital gains tax tax rates gets exactly one result, and that is inflation. Inflation robs the poor who have nowhere to go but the checkout counter and favors the rich who can buy inflation hedges. The Biden administration is playing Robin Hood, except it's robbing the poor and the middle class. It goes without saying that the worst victims of inflation are minorities. This could be the issue that brings down the Democratic Party. House prices have jumped 12% in the past year as pension funds, foreign investments, and wealthier Americans pour money into homes as an inflation hedge. Rents have ticked up, too, as the Wall Street Journal reported on April 21st. According to the government, the price of shelter has only risen 1.7% in the year through March 21. Who are you going to believe, the government or your own eyes? Heaven help the family of modest means whose aging car breaks down. Used car wholesale prices have jumped 41% in the past year. New car production has fallen by a quarter between the last quarter of 2020 and the first quarter of 2021. Dealer new car inventories are at the lowest in history, barely a third of their normal level. The chart here shows used uh, price cars as how they've exploded. Oil prices have recovered, but oil drilling rigs are in an all-time low. And this article goes on and on and on about inflation, and it ends by saying America desperately needs to rebuild 
It's dilapidated infrastructure and industrial supply chains. What Biden proposes is more handouts to Democratic constituencies. According to Fortune magazine, 7% of the proposed $2.3 trillion infrastructure package actually goes to infrastructure. If you throw in funding for high-speed internet, wastewater management, and so forth, infrastructure amounts to less than a quarter of the total bill. This is a total scam, fraud, Ponzi scheme, giant act of embezzlement whose goal is to pick the pockets of American Americans, and it's time to call Biden out to account. And Paul Nolan, I've talked about inflation. You've talked about inflation. You've talked about the Fed. We've talked about um hedging against inflation we've talked about your dollars sitting in the bank melting away as inflation continues to rise we've talked about bitcoin the world has talked about bitcoin in the last year like no other year uh and all digital currencies and this is why and yep. you've been on this yeah. for as long as i've known you look you get whoever creates the money whoever controls the money controls the currency controls the people just think of it this way if, if you owe somebody money you're indebted to them we all are indebted to, to, to the money system. Every single one of us. Kids are born into debt. And there's no chance. There's no chance of getting out from under it. And this system is completely, it's just a joke. It's a, an absolute joke. What they got away with. Go read the book, The Creature Born on Jekyll Island uh, by Edward G. Griffin. Just learn a little bit about mo the money system. Because once you understand how money works, then you realize how there is really truly no right or left. There's a handful of patriots on the right, in my opinion. But for the most part, these guys are just self-survivalists trying their best to stay elected and keeping their cushy job. And... uh but what about that? When you, when you say learn about the money system, because when you learn that, you'll realize there's no one on right. Why? What is it you learn that tells you that? When you, when you realize that the money, like, for example, the Federal Reserve, is, is, it's not a government agency. It's as Federal Reserve is as pri private a company as, the, as Federal Express. It is not, not quasi-government agency. It is a private group of bankers who control the money supply and they use our bonds to buy the money supply based on the goodwill and the intention of the american people's good faith of of the work ethic here and they use us and we're workers slaves and bees and they buy the bonds they they send the money to the fed and we get the money back from the fed from the bond based on our labor and it's interest just instantly interest and then they get to use their fractional reserve loaning and they could you know trade the money 10 times over every time a deposit's in or out and the whole thing is a, is a ponzi scheme so when you learn how money is made and born and then how it's used in this fractional it's just this giant version of digital usury that just completely eats up the wealth of a nation well, inflation's a problem, and like we say, once it gets out of the bottle, it's hard to put it back in. And trust me, it's not running at 2%. No way. <laughs>Studio 6B13 till the hour. Time to do a little more sports in here with that. Follow him on Twitter at Slick Rick Sports.
course, you can order that very fine um, muggies, juggies got next to him, yep. and uh, shirts and everything <laughs> else at 6bshirts.com or live from studio 6b.com. A couple people went to live from studio 6b.com and ordered their baseball caps, and they say they love them. I don't even have one yet. Wow. The, but the, 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 the uh, audience has them before I do, and they say they're good, so... All right, what's going on, Rick? All right, let's go to the league with three strikes and no balls on them, and that would be the Major League Baseball. Uh, Cleveland Indians over the Twins, 5-3. to three. That's final. Uh, Orioles, 4-1 to one over the Yankees. That's in the eighth. The uh, Braves over the Cubs, 8-5, mid-sixth. Uh, Oakland A's lead the Rays, 2-1, to one, mid-eighth. Marlins, 4 nothing over the Brewers. That's in the sixth. Phillies still leading the Cardinals, one nothing in the eighth. Rangers uh, over the Angels, 4-1, sixth. And the Astros, 2-1, to one, holding on in the fifth over the Mariners. NHL action, finals, Canadians over the Flames, 2-1, to one. Senators over the Canucks, 2-1, to one. Blues over the Avs, 4-1, to one. Uh, the Stars, 3-2 over the Hurricanes, that's in the third, Predators lead the Panthers, 2-1, to one. end of two, Oilers and Jets, nothing-nothing in the first, Ducks at the Kings, Coyotes at the Sharks later on this evening. NBA action. Well, the Knicks, well, they didn't pull out too well tonight, big day. They lost to the Suns, 118-110, um, and that was the score with the in the Garden tonight. The Cavs right now um, over the Raptors, that's uh, 88-87, <laughs> and the Timberwolves over the Jazz, 74-65. Hey, hey, Rick. Yep. James Dolan just texted me. He wants to thank you for jinxing his nine-game <laughs> winning streak. Or, or just, uh, the kiss of death. The maloika. Bacio morte. <laughs> <laughs> a wild one. Uh, the Spurs over the Wizards, 146-143 in overtime. Bradley Beal with 45 points. Great game. Lakers over the Magic, 114-103. That's final. Sixers, 121-90 over the Thunder. Also final. Joel Embiid leads all scorers with 21. Actually, he led the Sixers with 21. And uh, Pistons, 186 over the Hawks. Also a final. Kansas City Chiefs, Sean Culkin becomes first player to convert entire salary to Bitcoin. This is from Adam Tisher, ESPN staff writer, Kansas City, Missouri. If he makes the Kansas City Chiefs roster to begin this season, uh, tight end Sean Culkin will be the first NFL player to convert all of his salary to Bitcoin. Culkin was vying to be a backup starter Travis, to Travis Kelsky. Travis Kelsey will be paid his $920,000 salary by the Chiefs in U.S. dollars, but in turn will convert it all to Bitcoin. I've always had a lot of interest in and a passion for finance and economics from my days at Mizzou, Culkin said. Even before that, my dad was big, really bullish on gold. Early on, I was always exposed to his philosophies on what made gold an intractable investment, looking at it from a Marco perspective. Uh, there's a a lot of overlap between gold and Bitcoin. I really spent all of my time in the offseason the past year just hearing about this growing space in crypto. It just seemed like it was getting bigger and bigger. Culkin has played 19 career NFL games, so he's a kind of a newbie, and uh, caught two passes for the LA Chargers and Baltimore Ravens. He's not going to catch too many passes for the Chiefs with Kelsey, but hey, this young man is invested in, in Bitcoin. So uh, he says it's going to have some large pullbacks and dips, and people are going to say I'm crazy, but I'm focusing on on the long term, long term, it's a stored value. What makes Bitcoin so intractable is its scarcity. Over time, it's deflationary by nature. If you look at history, it appreciates over time. So smart young man getting into Bitcoin. Well, it's the, it's it is the single number one appreciating asset for the last 11, 10, 11 or 11, 12 years yeah. to almost 200 percent a year. 
it's not even close. I mean, the comparisons to gold, I, I understand it, but... Um, the only comparison that doesn't hold up to gold is the test of time. I mean, gold has been... And you can always find more gold, by the way. You can always, you know... Yeah, like you're saying, if they, like, snap open, Elon oh, Musk yeah. busts open an asteroid and it's filled with gold and destroys the value. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, there's, you can always find more gold. You, you, can, you can't find any more Bitcoin. I mean, that truly is, when you talk about supply and demand and, and uh, scarcity, it's a fixed number. There's never going to be any more. Yep. And so, stick I, good for him, by the way. Why, why would you take any money in dollars? I mean, to be serious, over the next two or four years, why would you take any substantial amount of money in, in fiat? When you, I mean, well, I mean, wouldn't you consider, though, the only way I would consider to give me my money, I'll, I'll tether it up and then yeah. I'll buy dips. But I guess if he's got enough money and he sounds like a rich kid, so. He hey, Jamie, can I start getting my checks in that money Ethereum, right into his, uh, Can you get your checks in Ethereum? Yeah, can I get my checks in Ethereum? I don't know. Ask Paul. He'll see. He's got all of it, so he'll send some to you, if, I guess, yeah. if you want. Hey, and, uh, here's another guy who's going to come into some big money. This is just in today. Trevor Lawrence signs endorsement deal with cryptocurrency app Blockfolio. This is from Aaron Walsh of Yard Barker. It's like the, the crypto segment. This is. The presumptive number one overall pick has signed a multi-year endorsement deal with the cryptocurrency investment app Blockfolio. According to the New York Times, he received a signing bonus that was paid out entirely in crypto and deposited into his Blockfolio account. A spokesperson for the company told the Times that his signing bonus is already worth more than it was on Friday when it was deposited. So uh, go. good for him, Trevor Lawrence. I wonder if he'll take his salary in Bitcoin. That'll well, be interesting. I mean, listen, uh, to be fair, Paul, everybody on this show knows it because we talk about it all the time yes. on and off the air. Uh, the future of currency and the future of payments and the future of all of this is, um, CBC, DC, is, is going away from carrying around dollar bills it's gonna you're just gonna carry this eventually and do everything or gonna, you just could have the chip in your forearm with, uh, or, <laughs> here we go the See, your See, we can't even get through that without having some what it's convenient you saw you, <laughs> okay. you saw amazon now at whole foods you can scan your hand your handprint works yeah all right uh let's quit horsing around let's go to the rodeo clovis rodeo horsing around. clovis california guys let's go to finals these are all finals bareback tilden hooper on virgil 90 and a half saddlebrock <laughs> dawson hay riding on double d with an 89 double d delgado and Damon. Uh, bull riding. Boudreaux Campbell on lap dance, 88. Were you drinking during the news? <laughs> no, I wasn't drinking. Oh, okay. I am. Uh, steer wrestling. Scott Gunther, 17.3 second for the four tour, 4305 was what he picked up on that. Team roping, Tyler Wade and Trey Yates, 39.1 seconds for four rounds. And tie down roping, Jake Pratt, 39.1 seconds for four rounds, picked up a cool 4500. And bow racing, Megan Champion, great name, 50.88 seconds for the three round, picked up $3,500 in the rodeo. One more big D, Rob Gronkowski catches football, dropped 600 feet out of helicopter sets a world record. Gronkowski, who played college football at the University 
University of Arizona, good school, was brought in to get the players on the team hyped up for the annual scrimmage. This is from Danielle Canover of Fox News. Coming off an epic performance in Super Bowl 55, Tampa Bay Bucks tight end Rob Gronkowski pulled off an incredible record-breaking catch at his alma mater's spring game earlier this week. They, uh, two, they took him three tries, but on the third shot, he did catch that ball 600 feet, dropped out of a helicopter, and then, of course, he did his classic Gronk spike as the players all surrounded him. And, uh, you know, Gronk, he's catching Super Bowl trophies and catching uh, <laughs> helicopter balls. So, anyway, that's a wrap in sports, Big D. All right, very good, Rick. Thank you. Um, well, I got to pretty much I, – I didn't get to Harsani's piece in National Review about John Kerry, enemy of Israel. And I told you in the comedy section, Liz Cheney's not ruling out a 2024 presidential run. But the other thing I did want to get to on a serious note was the pace of exodus out of the New York Police Department, which I wanted to spend some time on. But we will uh, oh, man. We'll spend some time on this tomorrow night because the numbers are staggering. And this is probably something you're, we're going to see, if not already seeing it. I have to get up on the numbers are all across the country. But in here in New York specifically, um, I'll give you the numbers tomorrow. It's staggering what's going on. And it obviously is not that big a surprise, given everything that officers are dealing with. Speaking of them, we salute our military, active and active, police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines protecting us thanks everybody on the show thanks g thanks fran thanks to real america's voice for giving us the opportunity as always but most of all thanks to you the live from studio 6b audience great start to the week we'll see you tomorrow night back with you in 22 we'll see you tomorrow